0: Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand. I'm a novelist and the pastor of Grace.
1: And I'm your fellow commenter, Cameron Brooks. Aspiring poet and professional pencil pusher. <laughs> Pastor Mark, it's good to be back. Thanks for filling in last week in my absence. My I
0: pleasure, make- but it was a short episode. <laughs> it was, yeah.
1: <laughs> we'll make up for it today. We have a big topic on our hands. We're in the season of Lent, and Lent is often not only a time to reflect on our own sinfulness as Christians, but also our mortality we don't do the imposition of ashes at Grace during our Ash Wednesday service. But growing up in the Lutheran tradition, I was I, we did that every year. And so I've, I've had one of the verses in mind that you often hear in Ash Wednesday services, which is from Exodus 319, I believe. It's a part of the, the curse, actually, where God says to Adam, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. The pastor in my church growing up would say that as he made the sign of the cross in ashes on your forehead. And the idea, of course, is that this is a season to reflect on our our creaturehood, but also our fallen creaturehood, the fact that we will all die. And I want to talk about that in this episode, <laughs> so, so it uh, might
0: be longer than fifteen minutes. Then,
1: <laughs> yes, we could go on for sure. Um, but it, in particular, I, I want to talk about the kind of a contrast between the wisdom in keeping your your death in view, understanding what it means to be a creature who will face death one day, contrasted with the idea of death as the last enemy to be defeated, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. So Christians do not believe death is a friend. Death is definitely an enemy. And yet we seem to have this long tradition of memento mori, remembering your death and asking God, say in Psalm 90, to teach teach us to, how does it go again? To um, number our days. Number our days, yeah. yeah teach us to number our days and that that's a kind of wisdom. In Isaiah, we see that humankind is compared to grass, and grass fades, and it's no big deal, and God stands forever, but human mortals, they're just, you know, they're here and then they're gone. And scripture seems to think that there's some kind of wisdom in in getting that, and knowing your place before God, knowing your place in the universe, And yet death is not a friend. So that's where I want to go. Do you have any initial reflections?
0: Yeah. So I think just thinking about death and its relationship to sin is important Mm -hmm. because especially if you were listening to this from outside the Christian tradition, it might not be readily apparent that Christians don't regard death as just part of nature. And I think it's a pretty commonplace way for us to think about death now that it's a natural part of life. Mm -hmm. And so when we say, well, everybody dies or, you know, following scripture, it is appointed unto man once to die. um, It can sound as if what we're saying is death is just built into reality and it's, you know, death and taxes are the two things
1: you can be certain of. I think Dumbledore said it's just the next adventure.
0: There you go. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I think there's a way of talking about death as an inevitable part of the cycle of life that can sound really wise, you know, like I'm I'm coming to terms with it or I'm making peace with death or something like that, seeing the good in death. But it's important to understand from a Christian perspective that death and sin are intertwined, mm-hmm. that the Bible teaches that the reason why we die is because sin has entered the world. So, death is kind of like the ultimate expression of the corruption that comes from sin. And that's why we have that tension that you're referring to where on the one hand, yes, death is part of our everyday experience. Death is all around us and reckoning with that is necessary if we're going to be wise. But on the other hand, we reckon with it without making peace with it because it is as you say the enemy it is the the last enemy that Christ will defeat the ultimate enemy and so we hold those two things in tension now what it means is as as Christians we mourn differently hmm. right when when we uh, mourn the death of a loved one or we face the reality of our own death we don't regard that as like the end of existence or we will sort of go out of existence at this moment. Instead we mourn differently because we mourn with hope, but that hope is in the resurrection. So that hope is after death. Um, It's not like a hope in avoiding death or even in putting death off as long as possible. So the deeper, grounded you are in a Christian way of seeing things, uh, the more I think complicated your relationship with death becomes because on the one hand we, we fight against it, but on the other hand, we don't fear it and we don't avoid it at all costs as if it's the worst possible thing that could happen. Right. And so that maybe gives us a a little bit of, of, uh, I guess territory to to operate within but of course we can say a lot more about that. Uh, first though I want to mention uh, an unusual experience I had that really reminded me of how 21st century I am in my sensibility despite being a Christian pastor I was at the Cloisters in Manhattan which is a museum that specializes in medieval stuff and and it's really really cool well worth visiting. But as I was looking in the display cases, there was this kind of a, I guess it would have been a, an ivory, like a carved ivory beaded necklace. But when you got up and looked close, it looked like a Halloween costume accessory because the beads were human heads, um, little, little men, but they were interspersed with skeleton heads. So you'd kind of get, you know, living man, dead man, skeleton, living man, dead man, skeleton. And I thought, this is so weird. You know, this is like Mexican Day of the Dead kind of stuff. What's it doing in a museum? But it's actually a really common kind of ornamentation. Uh, you used the word earlier, memento mori, uh, remember your mortality. And so in Christianity for centuries and centuries, there were these motifs that were meant to remind us that we wouldn't live forever and that we needed to remember that
1: because it would change the way we live. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why, why does keeping your mortality in view change the way you live, do you think?
0: I think there's a lot of reasons, but probably what it boils down to is you, you come to realize you have a limited number of days on this earth, and so it matters how you use that time. Yeah. You know, if you look at the way the Apostle Paul, Talks about uh, death and kind of makes this kind of application. He talks about the need to use the time we have as best we can. Mm-hmm. You know, in Ephesians 5, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Uh, in the King James, it was redeeming the time. Yeah. And so there's this idea. In Christianity, that that time needs to be cherished and used well, and Paul associates that not just in Ephesians, but I think in Colossians as well, with living wisely, not unwisely, and that is a little bit ironic because if you go back to the Book of Ecclesiastes, it starts with you know passages about the futility of wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, the the fact that death kind of. Uh, comes to all of us, and so um, it's important to to recognize the relationship between, let's say, wisdom and this keeping death in mind. Uh, for Paul, it means knowing your days are numbered, so use them well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say the book of Proverbs, too, is is the counterbalance to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is about the futility of of wisdom like you say and the reality that death comes no matter how high or low you are in life Proverbs has a more optimistic view it says well you have this life to live and it's important to gain wisdom get wisdom above all of all things and death is of course still in view but nevertheless we have this time to live
0: it's not just Proverbs though Like I, I really believe if people would read Ecclesiastes carefully they would see that what seems like a really sort of nihilistic and depressing book actually has this thread of joy that's very consistent with what you're talking about. And in fact, even if you go back to um, Ecclesiastes, where it talks about uh, all are from the dust into dust, all return. Right after that, just a few verses after that, it says there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. And so it's stated almost as a, a a reality and then a conclusion drawn from it, right? So the fact that we're all made of dust and we're all returned to dust is the reason why we should rejoice in our work. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that refrain a number of times throughout Ecclesiastes where these really sort of bleak things will be said about you know, the futility of... All of our efforts, and ultimately the the meaninglessness, the vanity of it all. But then there's this refrain saying, "And that's why you should rejoice in your calling. That's why you should rejoice in the work that God gives you to do, in the wife of your youth, in the sort of uh, pleasures of the 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 table." There's all of these very, um, if you forgive, forgive me, like Hobbit-like values <laughs> that. Uh, are cherished. And I think that's the connection, right? That, that coming to realize that all of your ambitions to be the greatest or to be the wisest or whatever, all that's going to come to nothing. And ultimately those are expressions of, of your ambition to live forever. Yeah. And so none of that is going to pan out, but rather than drawing the conclusion from it that, okay, well then what's the point of anything the conclusion to draw from it is, ah, so rejoice in what you have, yeah. make the best use of what you have. And so ironically, if you go back to the Victorian era or the medieval era and you see all of these mementos of death and, and we look at those things as horror movie motifs or um, you know, something morbid uh, for them, it is not just a reminder of their mentality, but it's, it's an impetus to make the most of the time that they
1: have and value it rightly. Yeah. It makes me think of the Odyssey, strangely mm-hmm. enough. There's that scene early on in the book where Odysseus is trapped on an island with the goddess Calypso. Mm-hmm. And so she's enamored with him and wants him to stay on this island forever. She's immortal, of course, and wants to give him the gift of immortal life which sounds great, you know, trapped on an Island with a goddess going to give you Mm -hmm. immortal life, but he just misses his wife and child and his home and ultimately decides I would rather go live with them this mortal life Mm -hmm. than stay with Calypso and have this idealized forever life. And when I first read that, I, it so struck me that I actually wrote a song about it because it, mm-hmm. it was so profound. And something in that gesture of turning away from trying to live forever and turning back to the life that he actually had and could go home to was really beautiful. And I'm, I'm hesitant, though, because I think you can take it so far where you, you totally eclipse eternal life And then it just becomes this, like, imminent frame, this idea that, well, this is the only life you have, so you just got to live it while you can, and we're all going to die anyway, and don't try to live forever. But that's obviously not what Christians think. Right. So how do you balance that out? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think you're right that when you do see that
0: theme in art, it can be... um, like the message that's being sent can be confusing, right? Because when, when you describe the Calypso story, I think of, you know, uh, Aragorn's girlfriend in Lord of the Rings, giving up her long elvish life to, to live the, (laughs) the short lifespan of a human or one of my favorite movies, uh, Vim Vendor's Wings of Desire, where an angel falls in love with a human and gives up his angelic life in order to become a human Mm -hmm. and you know, we see that and I think you can sentimentalize those things. And like you say, it's a strange idea that, that we would value the mortality Mm -hmm. of this fallen world over an immortality. But I think it's because that immortality isn't the immortality of like a sinless life with Christ, right? These are literary devices Mm -hmm. And I, I think in their various ways, they do reinforce this idea that there's a a value in life lived that, that is not about duration, mm-hmm. right? That it's, it's more about you know, what you do with the time that you have. Mm-hmm. And so I think for us as Christians, as we kind of think through our relationship to death, well, I mean, one thing I think is that we have to learn to face it in a way that in the 21st century, at least in North America, is increasingly rare, right? That um, death and suffering tend to happen offstage for us. You know, we don't know how our food ends up on the table. We joke about that. But also when it comes to death and dying, a lot of that for a lot of people happens off stage Mm -hmm. right your only experience of it is when you go to a funeral and even then it's very stylized and even now like our funerals oftentimes have a um, a, like a conflicted character where it can be difficult to mourn uh, because we're we're trying to make it into a a kind of celebration or something Mm -hmm. we feel like we're not meant to grieve in that way and so I think it would be good for all of us to really try to reckon with the reality of death the fact that death is bad, that, that we are uh, justified in resisting it and, and wanting to see its end. And that because of that, we have permission to grieve in the face of death. You know, and I, I think if, if we could recover a little bit of that, of, of sort of the shock, the appalling fact of death uh, that would help us greatly. And it would also help us to value life in ways that, that we don't, because I think those things are related. I think the more we anesthetize ourselves to the fact that we are all dying, the less we value the life that we have while we have it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really good. You know, we've barely scratched the surface I'm wondering if we should um, just leave it there. What do you think? (laughs) Let's
0: do this. Any other thoughts? Let's leave it with a a little bit of poetry. Oh, yeah, even better. When I think about this, there's one poem that comes to mind, and it's going to be familiar to a lot of people, but it's Dylan Thomas's poem, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. And I think the first time I heard this poem, it stuck in my mind because of that that oddity in that line that it's, it's gentle, not gently. (laughs) And so, I mean, I was like, why, why that? Like, it sounds right, but why that? And, and so I think because of the sound of it, it took me longer to appreciate the meaning of what he's saying. But the, the famous couplet is do not go gentle into that good night, rage, rage against the dying of the light. And I've often thought of those words when it comes to trying to have a right attitude towards death that, that I want to be raging against it. I I do not want to be making peace with it. I do not want to be finding the silver lining and saying, Oh, it's, it's good. Even though I know it's inevitable, but even in the poem, there is this tension because it is a good night that you should not go gentle into. And even more explicitly, there's a line in the poem, he says, the wise men at their end know dark is right. Mm -hmm. So he's acknowledging like there is a time in life when you're ready to go. You know, there's a time, I know many faithful believers uh, have that same feeling that the apostle Paul expresses where they're like, I would actually prefer to go and be with Jesus than to remain. Mm And so there's, there is that not goodness of death, but there's that thing to look forward to on the other side of death that gives them hope. And so when you're talking about things like this that are really complex and really deep, sometimes um, a few lines of poetry, right, can compress a lot. And so those are words that I've kept in mind since I was a teenager. And I'll just uh, share those in the, in the hope that they might help us as we try to, on the one hand, face death as we should, but on the other hand, make the best use of the time we have.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That poem is called, again, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night yes. by Dylan Thomas. Everyone should go look it up. It's definitely online all over the place. Um, yeah, read the whole thing and maybe consider it a, a Lenten meditation. Thanks for listening to The Commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media.
0: And you can subscribe to The Commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsuefalls.org.